Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, and I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com or in other words, FS and some financing solutions, creditline.com or give us a call at 862-207-4118. If you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Just remember the time to set up a line of credit is when you don't need it. So that when you do need it, it is there for. That's the purpose of a line of credit. Because we don't charge anything to set it up or to, and when it's not being used, it makes complete sense to get it in place. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Jan Cavell. And Jan is an entrepreneur from the UK who has a few decades of running micro and small businesses behind her. She is very familiar with all the challenges that go with that having started one from the kitchen table when her children were small and she was a single mother to go on to build that into a multi-million dollar turnover business. Jan has put her entrepreneurial experiences together with her passion for writing together a book aimed at helping entrepreneurs to grow their businesses during the big leap of $1 million to $10 million. The book is called Scale for Success and is now out in the UK, US, and Australia, and it's published by Bloomberry. Uh, Jan, welcome to today's Entrepreneur NBA podcast. Thank you so very, very much for inviting me on. Well, you know, uh, I'm, I, I'm excited about today's podcast, and I don't always get excited because sometimes <laughs> we cover um, are, aren't, you know, they're not, the to me, like, intellectually, maybe they're not so interesting. This one is, this is the reason the topic we're coming today is the reason for my podcast is to help organizations grow to over $10 million. Um, and that's in us dollars, not in, uh, you know, other. um, but, um, you know, so today's topic is scaling up your business from one to $10 million. And so, I, I, you know, I think it's going to be love to hear what you have to say about it. Um, when you are building your business, now it says turnover business. It says, is that a turnover like, you know, baked goods or, or no? No, it wasn't. No, it was a furniture business. Um, oh. So, so very different. It started as a sales operation because that was something I could literally do on the kitchen table at home with the children was buy in and sell on goods. But, uh, but as it grew and it became surprisingly or, or amazingly to me successful because I knew very little about business, uh, I had trouble with supply chain. So, you wow. know, gradually, that sounds familiar now, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had to sort it out myself and, and start manufacturing. So, wow. So what made you kind of go into the, the furniture business? 
that was that was uh, just it had to be something. I was I came from a sales background and I'd sold as people do when they drift from sort of small businesses and odd jobs and, you know, things when they're 19, 20. Um, you know, so I'd sold most things in my time. And I was there, I was in that situation of having to be far more serious about putting a, a food on the table for the kid. Yeah. Yeah. And so furniture came from the fact that I'd worked in it a bit, a very little bit with my ex-husband. And... I, it was very airy fairy and, and but poorly researched, I confess, because I, I I thought we were living in the country and we were living in a part of the country where there were craftsmen. And so ergo there must be lots of nice people who would make furniture, you know, and it was it was really as, as vague as that. Um, you know, and I thought I will put it together and I will put a leaflet together, which I did, and I got on the phone and started selling. Yeah, I uh I think as entrepreneurs, if we knew what we were getting into before we got into it, right, we would say, what are you, oh, wow. crazy, right? No. Yeah, you I just, know. you know, so so that goes for the idea of, oh, research what you're going to do. And I, I do believe that, but, but, um, but I think the concept is, um, is, is this idea of pivoting. And that is you kind of go in your business thinking you're going to do one thing. You learn something and then you kind of pivot, you know, to something, you know, something else. It's, it's not like a 180 degree change, but it's like, you know, maybe a, a, you know, a 45 degree little pivot, you know, another pivot after that. Um, You know, I always tell, uh, I think I'm going to be going on a podcast myself in a week from somebody else. And they're going to ask, they, you know, what's the top five things you learn? I'm not asking you that. Uh, well, maybe I will, but uh, the, <laughs> I know, I know the thing that I learned, and that is, um, is, is uh, I always tell people, you need to give yourself at least three year runway, because in other words, you got to make, you got to be able to say, I'm going to be able to sort support myself for three years some other way. Uh, uh, like in the United States, also you need to hope you know, I hopefully cover yourself for medical insurance, but um, but uh, you know, you need to be able to have some way. You know, the way I did it early on was I I worked a full time job and then did my uh, second job at night, uh, uh, my my entrepreneur job at, at night. But um, but uh, this idea of pit, did you pivot when you were? I mean, I pivoted from sales in time to manufacturing, but now yeah. initially it was it was straight. I'm going to sell, but you know, it was sell anything and uh, to anybody. It wasn't very tailored or yeah, you know, it's market centricized. It, it was very much uh, you know, well, do you want something? And okay, I'll go and look it for, look for it. Yeah, for almost a shopping service, and yeah. you know. Um, because and how I, did it change? So you started off. Everybody else was producing the furniture, mm. um, and you were getting the clients, right? You were basically, you know, that which is a very smart way to do it. Uh, you know, I did it too. Did the business change uh, from you going to production, or did it change where you developed a catalog, or you know, whatever it was? 
A little bit of both. We we changed in that we had to go into production. I could get the furniture made in my sort of vague theory that there were craftsmen, but I quickly found that I couldn't get the furniture finished or not in a contemporary style in the middle of the countryside where they'd sort of not heard of interior designers. And so that side had to be set up very early on, which we did in a friend's barn, literally, um, you know, with a couple of people I knew. So we got the finishing side up and running and it was quite a few years down the line when uh, I was getting most of the furniture made by a small local business and the guy came to me on a Friday afternoon and he said, I'm sorry, I've just had enough, I'm going to pack up shop. (laughs) And uh, panic, panic, you know, what do I do? And I said, well, come in, well, let's have a chat. And, you know, I said, let's strike a deal about this and I'll take over as of Monday morning. So, you know, all of a sudden wow. I had two little businesses. Did he stay on board or no? No. he. I mean, I never saw him again. Literally. And uh, did it work out well? It did work out well. I mean, the guys stayed with me, but he had two people full time and they stayed with me for about 10 years. So, wow. yeah. And, uh, you know, taught me a lot about furniture, which I knew very little about because, you know, I was just getting on the phone and saying, can you make such and such, you know, rather than actually understanding a joint or anything exciting on a piece of furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you you think you learned? How long did you have the business? I had it about 20 years in the end, which was too long. Too long. And then you sold it? I did, yeah. I sold the brand, and we had to break up the rest of it because to, because I'd just had enough. I'd had some really good offers on it, and I dillied and dallied and thought, shall I, shan't I? You know, after 20 years, you get stuck. And so I took too long to make up my mind, and then I just got to a point where I was burnt out one day, and I thought, I want out now. Um, and I got an offer from a brand from um, a competitor, and so I thought, let's see, you know, just just do it, just walk away. And it was a, at that point, it was a massive relief. You know, I, I, going back 10 years earlier, it would have broken my heart. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd had enough. I think, I think there's a shelf life to it, to staying in a business myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest mistake you ever made in business? That I made, apart from staying in too long. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's to do with that, actually, because I, I think, oh, goodness, I mean, there's so many. Hold on a second. I think that's one, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of them, um, yeah. because I think I'd lost my way. You know, I set up this thing to provide for my children, and that was a huge driving force, and yeah. you know, nothing was going to stop me. And, of course, by the time, 20 years later, they were long gone and, and not needing me remotely. Um, so, you know, I was sort of doing it for all because one ought to, and it's not enough and it wasn't driving me anymore. And, you know, I should have taken the first offer yeah. I got and got out. So, so that's pretty big. Um, you know, don't be afraid to change. I think it's very, very easy to get stuck in a business. And yeah, I had, a, I, I had something, I had something similar where, uh, I had a company that, um, it wasn't doing well. And I got this ridiculous offer, like to sell, right? Yeah. And I hesita- I kind of hesitated for a while, and uh, and I the attitude I'd always had is um, there always be another, yeah, there always be another, right? That's always the way I kind of you know thought through things, 
And it's, it's hard to believe because I'm an opportunistic person. So I kind of jump on things, but uh, I never got another offer <laughs> like that. And I should have taken it. I should have taken it. But, yeah. you know, I think when you were talking about it, the mistake that I, I, uh, I had a hunch was that you never want to get out of a business when uh, you're, you're sick of it. Right. You want to get ahead of the game. Yeah. Right. And you want to start looking before you ever get to that point because you lose your leverage. Right. When you kind of say you're sick of it. That's such good advice, you know, and it's exactly what I wish somebody had told me. Yeah. You know, because I remember sitting there smug and, you know, so pleased myself and I knew everything, you know, I'll be here when I'm, you know, in my dotage and you'll have to pop me up and I shall be happy and things will be the same. And of course they're not, you know, the markets change as, as I know, you know, having read a little bit about your backgrounds, you know, um, markets change, you change, your family circumstances change, you know, it's just not going to go on same old, same old forever. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then I think that's what you're saying is so true. It's like, you know, oh, you think, oh, I did 7 million this year. I'm going to do 9 million next year or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I had three instances where something blew up, right? I had a 9-11 instance, right? Yeah. Where, where something blew up. Well, that's, that's a literal translation. But when that, those towers found, fell, by the way, which was only uh, uh, 40 miles from my office and I was on a hill and I saw the towers. Uh, well, I saw the smoke in the horizon from the uh-huh. towers. When that happened, I knew my business that I was in at the time was going to crumble too. And um, not that my business crumbling had anything to do with those people, you know, the terribleness. No, no I know, but, you know, yeah. but I had, I've had some, you know, bad situations happen, but, um, I, I, in my, many regards, I was prepared, but, um, but so, so yours was not selling soon enough. Tell me some smart moves you, you think you made along the way. I think I was smart about sales and marketing, actually, to my surprise. And I think it was partly uh, uh, sort of fluke as much as anything. I mean, the sales I did draw from experience, and I was very, very motivated to sell. And I think, dare I say, that the UK tends to lag a little behind the States on the selling front. Yeah without denigrating my country in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, America is, uh, is it, businesses are very focused on sales in a way I think that the British are not. Uh, yeah. And because it had always made sense to me to sell whatever I was selling, it was always a means to an end. And to me, that's roughly what business was. If you sold, you know, then hunky-dory, you were home and dry. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, you know, so... We were probably more focused on sales than the average business, which was a good thing in 90%. Sometimes I overlooked the fact that you actually have to produce the stuff too. Yeah, salesperson's like, oh, that's that's a secondary yeah. thing, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, I just got to get the business and then I'll worry about that later, right? That's um, right. What, what do you think, uh, when did you make the, the biggest, not like why did you make the biggest jump in revenue? Like did when you like, what was the biggest jump in revenue you went like one million to 
five million, one, that's a big jump. So one million, three million, one million, two million. Did did you was there something you did that you made that made a big jump? Usually it was because I'd made a mistake and I had to make up the money. <laughs> wow. Um and it but it usually came because of taking on bigger premises. Uh, and oh. getting the timing, you know, I was interested in your intro of you saying, you know, have the cash when you need it mm. and, you know, get the, the sort of pipeline right. And, and all that makes c- complete sense to me because, of course, that's one of the things that we often get wrong when we make those first moves on scaling is we don't plan that pipeline out correctly. And I certainly didn't, um, you know, and I just... See, oh, we're busy, so I must take on another factory. And, you know, then I'd get these huge bills coming in and I'd think, oh, my God, oh, panic. Um, you know, sell, 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 sell. Um, and yeah. so up, the revenue would go up with problems would go too. But Yeah, you know, so, yeah, so, so what, was the, what was the period, what happened to really – you know, the purpose of this podcast is to tell our audience how to grow from 1 million, 10 million. Sure. So, so what was the big leap that you had? Or if you had a couple, what, what created that? I think in both cases, it was, you know, the realization that I had to do something and uh, drastic to, to pay for new bills. And it was very much marketing led. We, at that stage, were producing um, tangible paper brochures, but glossy, glossy top market ones where you probably wouldn't have to these days. In yeah. time, that became a website and a brochure, but the market still demanded a brochure. And we spent enormous amounts on the marketing side on on that. Um, and because, it, you know, it was our marketing tool. And we also did quite a lot of affiliate marketing um, with partners to, to build a brand name. Um, which I hated actually because because you know we used we used my name because originally we just started as a sole trader, so I got stuck with it. My I had to become the face of a company which I loathed, but you know it was it was sales, so I did it. <laughs> um, yeah, I but I like what you just said, and I think if we read listen, if anybody's listened to a lot of my podcasts, they know that the number one thing that I think is the most overlooked part of small business is lead generation. That if you have good lead generation and you are acquiring prospects inexpensively and you're making money once they become customers, if you have a good lead generation system, you have a a good business. I, I totally agree. And that's where my sales background came in so usefully because I was completely accustomed to being plonked in a small office in the back end of nowhere with a large list and told to get on with it. Yeah. And as far as I was concerned, you know, I started with the business with trade directories and just getting on the phone. And, you know, that was how we built the sales up you know, to, to the multi-million point. And I'd have salespeople come in and say, you know, this is ridiculous. We've got to travel all over the country and we've got to talk to our clients. And I said, you know, no, you don't, you know, you could, because that costs loads of money. You need yeah. a huge sales force. You need cars. You need this. You need that. You know, you get on the phone and you build up steady 
measurable figures and it's quarter the cost and far more effective. And if you do it well, you can do it. And I didn't like it, but it worked. Yeah, it's a, the furniture business has been known to be behind the times for, for a long time, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I remember like to, to tell our listeners and, and, and uh, a lot of us know the, the name brand IKEA. Yes. Right. And I had done a case study when I was in <laughs> school about IKEA. And at the time that IKEA came out, the the only way that people got furniture was by these craftsmen who would who would uh, it would cost a fortune and and uh, it would take forever. And the only people who had really good furniture or furniture was people who had money. Yeah. And Ikea came in and said, um, said, I'm going to make furniture for the masses. And he was the first person. I don't know if it's a he, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't remember the, 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 the owner of Ikea, but, um, but it, it's a Belgium company, I think, or something like that. I sort of Swedish, but yeah, yeah. Not far somewhere around there. Somewhere there. Right. And he came in and said, I'm going to make furniture that everybody can afford. And if you look at their furniture now, it's certainly that way. It's beautifully designed. It's not quality, but it's beautiful. No. Beautifully designed, right? It's really clever. Yeah. I mean, he, again, his, his marketing was just superb. He absolutely yeah. caught the wave of the need. As you say, there was this gap. And I think there was a lot of TV going on about interior design at the time. And it was just starting that you maybe didn't want your parents' hand-me-downs and you wanted something young and hip and IKEA-like. And, you know, he, he absolutely got it right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you, you look you look at the nature of your business, I think it sounds like to me like what you identified was, okay, you have these craftsmen who are producing furniture, but they're terrible at marketing. Yeah. And you have people who want nice furniture, quality oriented, and they're not hooking up with these craftsmen. And that's- and and that's you said that's I'll fill that void and I'll get my cut. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how it worked. And uh, in in the early years when it was very successful, though, what I'd identified was uh, that builders' show homes particularly was a big market for this new fashionable looking furniture. And uh, nobody was really servicing that. Mm. And to me, it made perfect sense that the designers in the middle wanted lots of different things and they wanted it easily and reliably because that meant there's little work for them and a nice fat check from the builder. And, you yeah. know, so everybody was happy and that was a brilliant market for us till about 97, 98 recession. And, and that knocked that market flat. Yeah. Um, that was a really good, good time up till that point. And then it Did got you, a lot more tricky. You, you survived the recession? We did survive the recession, but we had to change totally. And it was never very easy after that because we had to go to the private market. I mean, still through interior designers, but selling to the private market. And it wasn't, it almost wasn't feasible to produce what they wanted for for the money, actually, anymore. 
Yeah, my so I had a mentor for 18 years, and uh, he was the smartest man I ever knew. And uh, one of the things that he he had would say to me, and he would I I could see him now. He would put a piece of paper out for me, and then he'd do a draw draw this graph, and he would show me the proof that every 10 years we go through a recession. And and so entrepreneurs don't think that way, right? All yeah. they think about is that the market's going to go up, 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 right? And the thing that I've learned over 30 years, and, and Jan, I'm, I know you would feel the same way, is if you're going to stay in business long enough, you're going to go through one or two or some recessions. And you got to be prepared for it because – like now, like I, the, you know, I'm on my sixth company right now. And I remember uh, uh, six years ago, and I have a business partner with, with this one. It was, he was fantastic. He's really experienced at business ownership too. And we both like three years into our business say, okay, what is a recession going to look like and how is it going to affect us? So we got ahead of the game when it came to this pandemic. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but and not many people who managed to do that. No, it would, you know, it took us, you know, six, it took me six companies to kind of get it right. <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I wouldn't say that, but, uh, you know, we, we planned it out. Um, so that's one thing I think, wouldn't you agree that, you know, knowing now what you know after 20 years is recessions really have an effect? Yeah, I do. I was very, very lucky um, in that I had some contacts actually through writing because I started writing for a, a digital publication for stress relief, really, because uh, I loved it. But um, And so down in London, and I was invited to some very swanky events with really seriously good people speaking. And so they were sort of saying, well, you know, we're expecting this 97, 98 one, I guess, it was probably 95 coming up, you know. And so I was getting advance warning of what was going on, which, to be honest, I would not have ever, you know, had any clue about or, uh. or expected or anything else. And I started to think with their help, um, you know, having having just been there, to, to think how can we, st- you know, cut our outgoings, for example. You know, it's as simple as that. And, yeah. you know, went back and, and we, I remember we slashed sort of a third of our outgoings in, you know, sort of a month, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't believe it. I thought, how can we have been overspending that carelessly? But, you know, we were... <laughs> I know the feeling. You're like, what was I thinking? I know. But well, you, the, do, you, you know, you're intent on, oh, wow, yeah. we're going and we'll do this and we'll yeah, do plus that. You're, yeah. Plus you're a salesperson. Salespeople are very positive people. Yeah. Like, they always <laughs> they always think it's half full, you know, Absolutely. And, 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 and in fact, they think it's, you know, three quarters full. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know what? I, I So, I mean, before we move on to something else, you know, so what do you do during a recession? You know, the, the old adage is cut quickly, cut early. You know, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Really quickly. But it's the idea is to try to read the tea leaves a little bit, be aware that something might change and then and be prepared. Say, okay, when a recession comes, because it's going to, where am I going to cut? Yeah. You know, definitely. you know. And unfortunately, I you know, you have to say is you gotta cut like a lot of smaller businesses, payroll is a big part of your of course, your 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 expenses, mm. and you got to cut early, you know. And uh, on top of that, you have to make sure that you have 
using technology and processes so that if you have to cut, you still can get things done. So um, agreed. Very much so, yeah. And I think, you know, I've heard some amazing tales, and I'm sure you have during this pandemic, you know. It's also worth looking at what skills your company's got. Yeah, I was in particular, or there's an Australian company you might have come across, um, run by a man called Jeremy Fleming, and and they had a stage company who built big, huge event stages, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they got hit knocked out flat by the pandemic as you would do and in a weekend they came up with the idea of oh well we'll go into furniture and that's exactly what they did because they had the skill sets and they've actually built a bigger company wow but he 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 probably didn't think about did he think about that before or just keep on absolutely they sat down and he thought i've got to keep as many people in work as possible Yeah, i just meant did he do it before the recession no no it was literally when it hit one weekend (laughs) Excuse you know, me. You think I wish I had the ability to sink on my feet like that? <laughs> you know, and, and very... I think that's what I'm proposing. I'm saying that in that that stage business, that he he, he should have said, "What ha- what would happen if a recession hit?" Yeah. Right. Um, now I don't think he would. Ever, nobody in their right mind would say, "Well, what would happen if a pandemic hit and people stopped no. going to the move, uh, to to theater and stuff like that?" I mean, uh, I don't. He's never going to predict that stuff like that, you know. But he, you know, could have said, you know, the problem with the stage thing is if a recession hits, people aren't spending money on furniture. No. Right. So you have to say, well, where am I going to do? It? And then you know, a lot of times what you're doing is you're buying time. So yeah. he, you know, he could have said, "Is I want to keep my staff." It's a problem with his business; is his people are really valuable, right? You can't just let them go because when no, the recession is over with, hmm. so you just have to find a way to keep them busy until the recession's over with, right? Yeah. Now that's often the case. Though, as I say, yeah. in, in his particular one, he's made a bigger business of a new one. I think. Yeah. But. Yeah. Sometimes it really helps you. So. um, you know, so when um, I'm, I'm curious, when you were, uh, everyone talks about financing, you know, it's always, you yeah. know, I, I want to start a business, but I don't have any money. Right. And by the way, that didn't stop me. But, uh, but in your case, uh, did, did you require your clients to give uh, them uh, for pay for some of what they were buying up front or no? Later on, yes. I mean, mm. there's no way when I started they'd have gone for it because, you know, I had enough trouble persuading them. It was a very new thing and there was a lot of resistance to the market. You know, we were making quite a lot of stuff in MDF to paint it for a very sort of contemporary look and a lot of the old school furniture shops and what have you were going oh that's chipboard you know we're not having this junk you know and and there were a lot of sales things to overcome and you know to try and get them to park money up front was a no-no and, and again in the show home market of course the builders would have not given the interior designers money up front so you know no money to be had so so now i had to juggle in the first place and it really was hand to mouth like you i didn't have any financing to get that off the ground at all so it, when we it, took our first factory on, I I took a second mortgage on on the house. Oh, so so when you started out, you did not require money up front. Oh, well, so you know what you probably did is well, it didn't matter. Your your expenses were probably really really low. 
they, beginning, they, right? Exactly. Buying right? them initially, they were yeah. they were minimal. I mean, I was working at home. You're working you know. at home. Yeah. Did you have enough money to uh, to cover paying your bills and your kids and stuff like that? Barely. I mean, you know, we Barely. were, so, and I was on income support. So how long was the sales cycle typically in the beginning? Uh, you know, in other words, is between, so I assume you, you, you found somebody who wanted something, you found the, the, the factory or the craftsman who made it, uh, you hooked them two up, you waited for the guy to get paid, and then he paid you a fee. Yeah, I no, I, I I did the financing, so I did. was huh? I did the financing of the gap, so I had to juggle that. You know, I got the money and in time to to pay them in time on the thirty day principle, which was very very tight sometimes. Yeah. Now, um, so you did the financing yourself, or did you start working with a bank or? No, at, th- at that stage, no. I mean, a bank wouldn't have given me anything. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> So no, I I literally did it myself and built it up in a very, very small way, you know, sort of adding 20 quid or whatever to the kitty each, you know, each week um, until I eventually had enough. And there were several moments where I thought I wasn't going to make it, you know, and I'd sit there on a Friday afternoon thinking, oh, this is it. I've gone, you know, can't do it. Um, but why, Why did you decide to finance it yourself versus hooking those two people up? Did you want them to see your margin? I don't know, really. Um, huh? I'm just trying to think back. I, I just it never occurred to me. It made sense that is that me being a control freak? Maybe I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I, no. I mean, one thing is you, you don't. You always don't want to see your margins. You don't want someone to see your margins of what you're making because then they get pissed. True. You know? Yeah. No, um, that's certainly. Yeah. Did happen uh, a lot. Um, I don't think it was. I think neither neither side wanted the hassle. That was my job was to take the hassle out of it. Wow, you know. Good so yeah. So uh, as the company continued to go along, were you always self financed? No, or no. no. As it got bigger, as I say, I mean, I put a, put a huge chunk in from a second mortgage on the time on the cottage we had um, because I had to because that first factory. Yeah, was way more expensive than I ever imagined. And then later on, I used um, invoice financing sometimes. sometimes. Yep. When I was on a growth, growth spurt, I, I found it was expensive for a permanent cash line, but it, for growth, it's ideal because it just covers you. And, and the second, I think I used it two, three times. And certainly for later times I used it, I, you know, I was more familiar with it and I worked out exactly how, how long I'd need it for and, you know, sort of therefore the interest on it, which was okay, steep, but, you know, it was going to be absolutely worth it because the whole thing was much more controlled than it had been, should we say, the first time. Right? Yeah, I, th- I think there's two lessons that I learned uh, early on too. And the, the first one was, so everybody should know that's listening is that a bank is never going to give you money unless you have assets or, or uh, to, to pledge to the loan. Yeah. Okay. Now, in this case with Jan, it was her home. She had equity in her home, but it, it, it also could be inventory. It could be other stuff. But, you know, and most entrepreneurs really don't have that, honestly. Okay. Um, but the thing that I learned is, if you can get your cash flow going, 
you will find someone to finance you. And and in my regards, and in John and John Dan's uh, uh, situation too, we both did the same similar thing. Uh, we we both use factoring or invoice financing, right? And uh, and so you know that I'm, I'm not going to describe what it is here. You guys can all look it up on the internet. But <laughs> factoring and invoice financing is is a good way to finance a company. As long as is as you're not dependent upon it for a long period of time, yes. right? And what Sorry, happens Chris. is if your margins are big enough, you eventually can get the factor out of the picture, yeah. and then you can get a bank involved. Yeah, right. So it's like these steps you take, right? Um, and I think I think the thing that we're talking about here is uh, you know, uh, Jan and I both you know, have similar backgrounds is, is you, you learn this as you go along, you know, you don't have all the answers you learn it, right. All of a sudden you say, Oh, Oh, how am I going to finance this? Right. And then you start tackling that problem. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, I was interested in you saying in the beginning, you know, as, as I say about the, you know, getting that set up. And I think that's one of the secrets to sustainable growth, isn't it? You know, that you 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 need to know what you're going to do about that when the time comes yeah. and, you know, have the money ready to get your key staff in place or whatever's the next step in that growth plan that's going on. You can't think, oh, I need you know my management team in place now. What am I going to do to pay them? You know, it, it, it's it's chicken and egg on that one. Yeah, I think so. I think both uh, uh, Jan and I have also, we're both, um, you know, both type A personalities, salespeople by nature. Um, and, and, and in general, nothing's going to stop us, right? <laughs> right. I mean, we're yeah. going to, if there's a wall there, we're going to knock the wall down or, you know, and, and, and for, um, you know, maybe we'd be smart enough now to go, learn how to go around it. But, uh, but, uh, but, you know, the net amount is there isn't a problem that won't come up in your business that you, that, that you won't be able to file, find a solution for, you know, you really will be able to find a solution for it. And if you start off with that attitude, to me, um, you'll be successful. I think that's right. And I think you will find it providing you want to enough. And that goes back a little bit to what I was saying about me having lost my way towards the end, because however much I thought it was sensible to care, you know, it wasn't really coming from the heart anymore. But, you know, if you're determined and if as you say, there's nothing going to stop you, you are going to go around the wall, knock it down, climb over it, but you're going to go yeah. through it one way or another. Uh, so, I mean, you mentioned that the, one of the main criteria that helped your business get much bigger was when you started being more, I wouldn't say sophisticated, but better in the marketing side. Yeah, I think that's, you know, happens to all of us when we grow, you know, going back to that early period of growth, the one to 10 that I was writing about, you know, is that when you start off at first, you know, you will sell absolutely anything to anybody. And that, you know, that's great when you're starting. It keeps you in bread and butter. But, you know, you have to change as you get bigger. Uh, as, as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to somebody who knows far more than me, but, uh, you know, you have to actually get your marketing done 
and and nail what your differential is. Yeah. You know, how, what your cost of acquisition is. What um, you know, what your gaps in the market are, and are they going to be big enough to to sustain that growth? You know, you can't just just cherry pick an order off to keep you going from somewhere anywhere anymore. It has to be much more organized. What now? Was there a point? I know the thing that I noticed is there's a point where you're only you're only working in the business and you're doing lots of the work. And then as you get bigger and you get better at what you do as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you start working on the business. Did you notice that yourself? Yeah, I mean it's it's very true, isn't it? It was Michael Gerber coined that one, yeah. it, I think, originally. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was something I heard a lot about. I'd started at long last by that time to go and actually learn seriously about entrepreneurship, realizing how little I knew. And you know, everybody was starting to talk about this thing about working on your business. And I was desperate to work on the business, and I and I was loving it. I was loving the learning, you know, and the whole thing was great. But in actual fact, it really exposed to me um, slowly, uh, slowly over a period of time, how many mistakes I'd made in the setup of the business for for sustainable growth, yeah. and how complicated it would be to put them right. Um, and I was constantly getting pulled back into the business. This happens to so many people, doesn't it? You know, you you start working on it and then there's 64 crisis and you're back in working a night and, you know, you never quite get your get out. And if you can't get out, you're never going to be able to grow that business properly and sustain it. So it's, it's a huge thing, I think. Do you think that, do you find that you're a control freak or no? Yeah. You are? I, yeah, I am. Um, I think I'd be better if I did it again, which I've no wish to do, actually. You know, I'm loving what I do now. But, uh, you know, I think looking back, looking back, I I do so much differently. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so easy in hindsight, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, I, I definitely, I struggled to find the right senior staff. I think, and you know, going on about mistakes, I think I very much stuck with the people I'd had from early on because it seemed a very fair thing to do. And I think a lot of people make this mistake, you know, that you, you keep on promoting those people who have been with you for their loyalty. And that's great, but they may not actually be any use at growing a business. And so they may not have the skills that release you to work on that business. Now, um, did you did you get involved in the entrepreneur organization? I mean, uh, Michael Gerber was, you know, there's certain authors and people that make a big impact. And they usually, I belong to the entrepreneur organization, I, you know, which is throughout the world. But do you, was there organizations that you belong to or no? There was. I got involved in something called the Supper Club, which sounds very laid back, but it was actually started by some entrepreneurs and literally they realized they were meeting on a regular basis and it was being really useful. And so they expanded it and asked a few more people and it, it became a big um, growth club in what well, still is in the UK for very high growth entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, it was it was very selective. It's quite small in comparison to VEO. Uh, yeah, 
So uh, I was I was very lucky to let me in. I was always rather puzzled they did, but it was a great honor, and I met some wonderful people. And my goodness, did I learn a lot! And so, um, is that where is that the organization I think you you learned the most from in regards to entrepreneurship? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and it was, it, I, I mean, a huge fan of peer learning anyway. I am too. Uh, yeah. Are you? Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I, I turned to peers or people before I turned to the internet. Yes. You know, like it's just the way I'm built. I've gotten yeah. a little bit, I've gotten a little bit better with it where like, yeah. if, I, if I'm looking for an answer, like my first thing is, okay, who do I know who can help me with that? But I've gotten a little bit better by going on the internet first and searching that. I just find that um, that if you want anything in depth and if you want the real answer, people know it who have experience in it. And if you go on the internet, it's, it's just very simplistic and it's not in depth, you know Um, it's gotten better. And I, I actually, I'm a big, I use YouTube a lot now Mm. and I find just, I just, because that's the way I learn is better through visualization than through reading. Um, but, uh, but I am doing better about, you know, going on the internet to read up about things. I mean, it sounds, uh, old fashioned, but, um, you know, no, I, I totally with you. And I, I think, you know, your point about, you know, learning from people who've actually done it, you know, too, books oh, are yeah. okay, but you know, if, if somebody hasn't experienced it or, yeah. you know, gone through it, they, they don't get it in the same way. They, they just don't get it. No. no way. And then, then, you know, you see, you read the articles from people, you know, in the United States, Inc. Magazine or something like that. And I'm like, you haven't, the person who's <laughs> writing it hasn't started their own business. They have no clue. No. And not only do they have no clue about, they don't give advice typically, but they don't have any clue about the questions to ask. Yeah. Right. I do. Um, and so, you know, it's, you, do you think your 20 years of building your business, like you look back back at it now and say it was like really, really hard? Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it was. I mean, again, you know, the, the early sort of 10 or 12, 10, 15 years perhaps were hard in a different way. You know, they were hard, amazing, chaotic, crazy fun loved every second of it hard but my goodness it was hard um you know whereas the last three years were you know getting out of bed and wading through yeah that sucks i'm sorry it was that way well Uh, you know yeah but i I love i love what i do for a living now yeah and uh and i'm 56 i own uh three companies four four companies but uh you know it sounds bigger than really two of them are big but uh, the other two are nothing special but sounds extremely um, impressive no it's not it's just i Listen, let me tell you why I'm successful. I'm 56 years old. I love getting out of bed and doing what I do. And I'm able to do things outside of work because of uh, the way I've built the businesses, right? That to me is a very successful person, right? I, I make good money. I, I can pick what I want to work on. Yeah. Um, I have the hours to be flexible. And... Um, and so to me, that's the definition of success. You know, I, I've not built a hundred million dollar business. I've not ever gone public. I've, you know, to be honest with you, I would kind of would have liked to have done that stuff. 
Um, but my business partner that I've been with for the last 10 years, that's not his thing. And um, I like the adventure of where business takes you. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I like that life is an adventure. And if you've, if you have enough money saved, you can kind of take more of a chance that way, you know, uh, than when you first start where you're just trying to pay the bills, right? Well, desperation is quite good to get going to. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing now? Are you doing the coaching thing now? I do a little bit of coaching, but, you know, I do, do quite a bit of writing. Um, you know, I just love the writing and – it's the dual edge thing, you know, I get to speak to a lot of entrepreneurs because I do a lot of entrepreneur profiles and, you know, I find it so fascinating. It's going on with my learning. There's such exciting things going on now in business, you know, yeah. that, that weren't there 10 years ago. And, you know, and I come off a call with, you know, having spoken to somebody, I'm sure you're probably the same on the podcast, you know, yeah. you know, you hear about these amazing new things that can be done and, and you know, it's all right, you know, yeah. and I, I buzz around on a high for days, you know, and, yeah. and I just love it and learn so much. And if I can pass that on to people. What do you, what do you think that if uh, someone uh, purchased your book, um, what what which is uh, scale right? It's uh, the book scale is called for Scale for Success. Mm. T- tell me um, what what do you think the an entrepreneur would get out of it? I think this, the principle, oddly enough, we were just talking about is what I wanted to do was write in a way that was a very peer learning sort of way. And I was really chuffed when a friend of mine who I'd known from back at that club, the Entrepreneurs Club, said. You know, reading it was like going to a series of evenings, but really good ones. Like and, a supper club. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I thought, wow, my goodness, I actually got near to what I wanted to do. Because I think, you know, that's what makes entrepreneurs, as we say, you know, get something out of it is identifying with bits. You know, there might be bits that they don't. You know, same as any entrepreneur's conversation. But, you know, if they get that feeling that they're actually reading about people and stories that that have been there and done it it's not a it's not a book if you want a guru don't buy it yeah sounds like a good read i <laughs> I, I think i like it well it's very good i i really would like to thank so very much uh jan cavell from uh from her own company for coming on to today's podcast if you like today's podcast please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, fscreditline.com. Jan, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? The quickest way is just to leap on my website, which is jancavell.co.uk. And my contact details are on there. And I'd love to hear from any of your listeners who want to ask me a question. Yep. And it's Jan, J-A-N, and her last name is C-A-V-E-L-L-E. That's right. Um, and it's .com, correct? .co.uk. .co.uk. Um, and uh, thanks for coming on today. My absolute pleasure. Loved it. And for our listeners that are out there too, if you want to learn a little bit more about business, I tweet daily at S Halasnik, which is my name, S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K. And I share with you, you know, things that are on my mind at that moment or things that I've learned over 20 years or things that I'm working on personally now. I think it's a really good uh, uh, resource for you guys. Um, 
So, you know, basically one of the key things I think uh, Jan really pointed out today is that being an entrepreneur is self-taught. You have to keep learning. If you keep learning, you'll get better and you're not going to learn this stuff at school. You just got to go do it. Everybody have a fantastic day.